Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Before I begin this week's soap opera of an episode, I'm going to play a couple of promos from two fantastic podcasts. The first is Nightmare on Fear Street. This is a pod that discusses the works of R.L. Stein. It's a huge amount of fun, and one of the hosts, Zach, was one of the very first to reach out and offer any help to me when I first started. Zach, you rule. The second is from Good Nightmares. Now, not only is that one of the best names for a podcast that I've heard, but the host, Sarah, does a pitch-perfect job of bringing a mix of real crimes and also the stories behind some fairy tales to your ear holes. The episodes are just grand, and Sarah does an amazing job. Listen to the promos, and then go subscribe. Whoa, Meg, what are you on the computer for? You know that's not for kids. I'm on the internet, and I'm looking at my favorite podcast, which is called Nightmare on Fear Street. It's about all of the rad, spooky, unreal books that me, as a cool 90s teen, loves to read. Books like what? Well, like Goosebumps, the Fear Street series, and other series like Bone Chillers, and Hair Razors, and even The Shadow Zone by J.R. Black. I hate that guy. What a nerd. Yeah, but you know who's not a nerd? Who? Who's not a square? You, if you listen to Nightmare on Fear Street. Whoa, radical, tubular, excelsior. And the best thing is, because it's on the internet, you can get it whenever or wherever you want to listen to it. So even if you're at Time Zone playing arcade games, or if you're doing sick tricks on your board, or even if you're going down to the McDonald's. I hear they just put it in an N64 so I could play Pokemon Snap. Unreal! Radical! Right, I'm going to have to surf this. Where can I find this on Magellan? You can find Nightmare on Fear Street on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else where you can download podcasts. Unreal! Kids, have you done your homework? No, because homework is uncool. Yeah, Mom, we're listening to Nightmare on Fear Street. And then afterwards, we're going to watch Saved by the Bell, because we're awesome. And then we both ollie out on our skateboards. Yeah, I'm Zach. And I'm Meg. And we are Nightmare on Fear Street. We're a weekly podcast all on R.L. Stein and spooky scariness. We are a trans-oceanic partnership of red 90s nostalgia for cool teens only. Only the coolest places, you know, like Australia and America. So you can find us on any podcasting format, and we produce usually weekly. Yeah, unless Cthulhu comes out, and then we're screwed. And episodes typically come out on a Friday, but if you subscribe, you may also get some cheeky bonus content. Ooh, bonus content. Awesome. Well, I'm Zach. And I'm Meg. And stay spooky. Radical. Oh my god, I went back in time. Hey everyone, this is Sarah from Good Nightmare Podcast. A podcast where I like to talk about all things strange and unusual. Whether it's mysteries, historical crimes, or fairy tale origins. 
I hope you'll come along for the ride and join me as we delve into some spooky tales. Happy listening. One thing I need to mention before we enter this labyrinthine tale. As some of you know, Mirths and Monsters has been nominated for a podcast award. I am genuinely stunned. As is Finn. Ray, however, is strutting about asking for her food on a silver platter. Anyway, I know some of you have voted already. Thank you. But if anyone else would be kind enough to do so, then you can head over to discoverpods.com and follow the route to vote there. Thank you all so much. Engage soap opera intro voice. Previously on Grecian Hills 90210, Minos, son of Zeus and Europa, did not sacrifice the white bull that was given to him by Poseidon as a gesture of his support. Poseidon got proper hacked off and made Minos's wife fall in love with the white bull, and this union led to the half-man, half-bull nightmare that was the Minotaur. Then came Daedalus and his son Icarus to build a labyrinth to hold the Minotaur in. Icarus later befell a sunny fate, and the Minotaur was killed by the hero Theseus. Or was he? On with the pod. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Mirths and Monsters. Very glad to have you here. This week's episode is an absolute doozy. It's a real soap opera of events. While it may not be Sunset Beach, it is full of intrigue, secrets, double-crossing, and a half-man, half-bull who wears tighty-whities. This episode, I will be unpacking the traumatic events in Greek mythology that is the story of... The Minotaur. Let me give you a brief overview of the Minotaur's beginnings. The name Minotaur is a compound word that comes from the ancient Greek words halloumi and snuffleupagus. But wait, I hear you cry. Those two words seem to have no relation to the word Minotaur. And you would be right, my friends. You are a smart bunch. What happened was this. The Greek philosopher left the Stovonius, was left in charge of philosophizing when the rest of the philosophers went on their annual trip to Margate on the coast of England. This time of year was always, always quiet, up until this year. So, while they were away, the incident with the Minotaur transpired. As was traditional, the philosopher in charge was left with the task of naming the newest creature. Problem was, as enthusiastic 
as Leftistovonius was. He was, what's a good way to put it, lacking the usual level of brain power associated with philosophers. You see, Leftistovonius, or Stovies for short, was denser than dark matter, thicker than a defensive linesman's thigh. He knew that this was a prestigious position and didn't want to mess it up. However, he had no imagination. He was only a philosopher because his mum wanted him to be one. He just really wanted to play the loot. The point is, my friends, is that he was grasping at straws trying to think of a name. So what he did was just look at the objects around him. He was having lunch with his friend the mammoth... Don't knock the idea. DreamWorks have made five films out of that idea. So, Halloumi and Schnuffleupagus was going to be the two words that would be compounded to the word mini-guffs, which actually translated as hairy cheese. This, of course, was in no way acceptable. Luckily, Stovey's friend the mammoth, seriously, five films, was a bit more well-read and knew his ancient Greek, which, to be fair, was only Greek then, and he came up with the name Minotaur. Mino, meaning Minos, the name of the king, and Tor, short for Taurus, meaning Bull. Very much a case of say what you see, but also keeping the king happy. Smart mammoth. That's how the Minotaur got his name. But how did he come to be in the first place? Did he show up in a fiery ball of drama? As would be befitting of such a fearsome creature. Did he ride a bolt of lightning from the depths of Hades and arrive on solid earth with a landing that would have scored a perfect ten at the Olympics? Did he arrive by rickshaw? No, that's daft. What happened was this. Minos was competing with his brothers to be the first king of Crete. And oh boy did he really want to be the head honcho. The numero uno. The big hairy cheese. So, he ran a fair and robust campaign. No he didn't. He prayed to Poseidon, the god of the sea, to try and get his support for the kingship. Poseidon took some time out of his busy schedule of making sure that the sea stayed wet and said, Sure, not a problem. One thing though, I'm going to send you this little white bull and you need to sacrifice it to prove your allegiance to me. Minos, of course, agreed. However, Minos was like a bit of a heinous dude and like totally lied. He was all like, Poseidon, as if... Minus was like totally supposed to commit a heinous act to the little white bull, but he thought it was too much of a betty and sacrificed one of his own. Well, Poseidon was totally bummed at this betrayal and was like, no way, Brocephus, and totally got back at Minos. In layman's terms, Poseidon said he would back Minos as long as he did this act of loyalty. Minos tried to trick Poseidon, And it backfired. Here's the thing. You'll never guess who Minos' dad was. 
Only Zeus. Yeah, I do. Zeus, the god of gods, the Allfather, the original G. Now, I have to go on the assumption that Minos thought he would get away with it because of, you know, nepotism. But turns out that wasn't the case. Poseidon requested an audience with Zeus, and it was granted. Zeus even made the place look homely for Poseidon with a great big hot tub. Zeus had obviously known what had taken place with Minos and the shame that he'd brought on the family. As Zeus sat in his chair stroking a white cat, Poseidon asked a favour of the god's father. The word favour was laced with almost untold possibilities. An agreement was reached twixt the two and Poseidon took a long swan dive back home. The deal that was reached was that Minos's wife, Pasiphae, would... Okay, this is where it gets weird. According to mythology, Pasiphae ditched Minos and decided to... Um, adopt a baby with the white bull. So, what happened next was some storks flew to the house of Pasiphae and dropped off the baby she had ordered with the white bull. Obviously because of magic, and absolutely nothing else happened. The baby was half human and half bull, and this, ladies and jelly spoons, is how the Minotaur came to be. You couldn't make it up. This leads us to the next part of the story. The Minotaur as a grown-up. Okay, this is what happened. Minos was ever so slightly miffed at the actions of Poseidon, and actions that had been given the go-ahead from his own dad, no less. Not only had he lost his wife, but now he had this monstrosity, his words, not mine, to deal with. What he did next was so Minos. He contacted a man called Daedalus. Now, Daedalus comes from the Greek. All the names in this tale come from the Greek. What with it being in Greece? Anyway, Daedalus comes from Daed, meaning not that great at maths, and Lus, meaning so let's give him some crayons instead. Daedalus was a creative genius, though, and architecture was one of his talents. If you're not familiar with him, then you may have heard of his son, Icarus. The tale of Daedalus and Icarus is the one where they created wings using feathers of birds along with wax and branches. Oh boy, did they swoop and did they soar. However, Icarus had ignored his da's warning of not flying too close to the foam of the sea or the heat of the sun. But, well, boys will be boys and Icarus flew too close to the sun. The heat melted the wax, and Icarus fell to the sea quicker than I run when I see a sign saying free buffet. What has this to do with the Minotaur, CK? Well, I shall tell you, my lovely Marthers. The reason they needed the wings in the first place was that King Minos had imprisoned Daedalus and his boy 
to keep the secret of the labyrinth from being exposed. Daedalus had designed and built the labyrinth, you see. That Minos. Ugh, what a piece of work he was. Okay, I'm getting slightly ahead, so let me take you back a bit. Minos, as we know, is a horrible person. So, to him, the Minotaur was a constant reminder of how he'd been made to look stupid, even though he'd brought it upon his own crowned head. So this is what he did. He commissioned Daedalus to build a labyrinth within which to house the Minotaur. It seems harsh to me, but as we know, Minos is about as rational as the idea of willingly punching one of Mike Tyson's pet pigeons. The Minotaur went to the labyrinth, but not without screaming, You're not my real dad! at Minos before he left. So, this gigantic labyrinth was built, and the Minotaur prowled the covered paths day in and day out, feeding on the occasional lamb or goat that had really lost their way. The outcome of the Minotaur, according to legend, was that the alleged hero, Theseus, volunteered to be a sacrifice for the Minotaur. You see, King Minos decided there should be sacrifices every seven years or so. Seriously, this guy is totally mental. Anyway, Theseus was aided by the daughter of Minos, Ariadne. She gave him a ball of string to navigate around the maze. I sometimes think this mythology stuff is made up, you know. Anyway, long mythological story short. Theseus killed the Minotaur, and then he dumped Ariadne, tricked his dad into giving up the power to the kingdom, and became king himself. This is why I said alleged hero, because that doesn't sound like a nice fella. However, is this what really happened? Well, I'm here to tell you, Marthers, no, it is not. How do I know? Well, I've managed to find myself a Minotaur, of course. How did I do this? Well, as always, the first stop is hitting the books. Then, after I stop hitting them, I open them up, and then I read them. The information I managed to gather after a long time of research led me to a location just outside of Kent, which is known as the Garden of England. The cover for this place was a retirement home for the elderly, and while this was not technically incorrect, the assumption folk would make is that the elderly would be human. Not the case. This was a retirement home for certain creatures, one of which was a Minotaur. There were others. And don't worry, I've got things lined up. But for now, let me tell you what the Minotaur shared with me. As you would expect, no recording devices were allowed. No pictures could be taken. But I was allowed to take notes with the permission of the Minotaur. He was called Mavusilus, or Mavis for short. I of course asked Mavis about the history of the labyrinth and Theseus, etc. 
And while there were elephants of truth in the story, they had, of course, been embellished over time. There was a King Minos. There was a Daedalus. And once upon a time there was a little white bull. However, the Minotaur wasn't actually held captive in the labyrinth. Not that the King Minos knew this, of course. It turned out that the wife of Minos, Pasiphae, had instructed Daedalus to build a secret entrance that only she knew of. This way she could bring in food and supplies to her boy. Time went on, and a Minotaur family eventually happened. Mavis didn't go into too much details about this. Simply said, nature finds a way. What then happened was that the original Minotaur passed away. But then another took his place. And no sacrifices ever happened. Can you imagine the looks on the faces of these poor kids who thought they were being pushed to their death, only to have a Minotaur greet them with mead and bread and the Greek equivalent of Twister? Left hoof on green. They would stay a while and then head off to faraway lands. Obviously they couldn't be seen again, but it was a small price to pay when A, your family had pushed you forward for sacrifice, and B, you have your life. As for Theseus, boo, and his ball of string, turns out that never happened. As Mavis pointed out to me, think of it this way. This was a gigantic labyrinth. Huge. How big a ball of wool would you need to carry before you started? Nah, mate, work of fiction. That was the interesting thing about Mavis. He was indeed half man, half bull, but the upper half was human and the lower half was bull. And very occasionally, he would moo. And I don't think he knew he was doing it. Anyway, the Minotaur who was in charge of the pretend sacrificing would reach a certain age, and then another would take over. Mavis retired four years ago now, and was moved to... I can't say the name of the place, because there is a chance she would recognise it. He's very happy there. He does have a playful back and forth with some of the carers. He'll pretend to charge at them, and they pretend to feed him beef burgers... But it's actually only veggie. The labyrinth still exists. But it's just not on our plane of existence. I do believe it's a place that I can see me and the wee man visiting down the line though. I left Mavis these veggie burger. And he's had to pop by any time. And I'll definitely be back. So folks... Here I am, back in the library slash vet's office. The wee man has been under the weather this past wee while, which is why I'm a bit later with the episode. I'm very happy to let you know that he's 100% healthy and will be back in the next episode. I can't tell you that he's not overly happy with space cats at the moment. They seem to infect him with something. Have you seen a dog with cat's ears before? It's very odd. But he's sorted. It's alright, Finn. Okay. Mostly sorted.
A lot of you have been kind enough to leave reviews for the show, and I'm bewildered by it, but very, very grateful. So I would like to read one out with each episode, as you've taken the time to write them. I'd like to pick one each week, and this one actually made me very, very happy. It's from M. Flem. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read the bits that made me smile a lot. I've never, ever left a review before, but I will for this, because not only am I quite taken with it, but so is my nine-year-old son, and it's been so amazing to share the listening experience with him. I love the balance between fact and humour, big fan of Ray Skywalker, and the creativity and imagination. He made me listen to the birthday episode over twice more because we were laughing. Keep up the good work, CK. You've got a whole household singing Triskaidekaphobia. Em, thank you so much. And I'm so happy that you can listen to it with your wee boy as well. That means a huge amount to me. So, if you could leave a review of the show, that'd be a massive help. Or even just a rating. It does help the podcast, that's what I'm discovering. Uh, I'm blown away by the amount of folk who enjoy what me, the wee man, and Satan can't get up to. Thank you all so much. Until next time, Slancha, your good health. <laughs> <laughs>